The Italian Wine Podcast is introducing a new donation drive this month. It's called Why Am I a Fan? We are encouraging anyone who tunes in on a regular basis to send us your 10-second video on why you are a fan of our podcast network or a specific show. We will then share your thoughts with the world with the goal of garnering support for our donation drive. Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs you in order to continue to receive awesome free wine edutainment seven days a week. We are asking our listeners to donate to the Italian Wine Podcast by clicking either the GoFundMe link or the Patreon link found on italianwinepodcast.com. Remember, if you sign up as a monthly donor on our Patreon, we will send you a free IWP t-shirt and a copy of the Wine Democracy book, the newest Mama Jumbo Shrimp publication. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, this is Cynthia Chaplin, and today I am so happy to welcome Laura Diaz-Munoz to Voices. Laura is the winemaker and the general manager at Ellers in St. Helena in Napa, California, and she was born and educated in Spain and moved to California against the wishes of her family, but she now has a thriving and really well-respected career in winemaking, so I can't thank you enough for taking the third time to try and make this interview happen. Welcome to Voices. Thank you. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you for having me. Yes, we made it happen. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's good to to meet you at least um, via voice, and um, and I'm happy to to talk and have a discussion about what what brought me here to California and, and where I am right, right now. Absolutely. Well, I, I lived in Barcelona for a few years. So Spain is very, very near and dear to my heart. And I know you were born in Madrid. And you've said your grandparents' farm in Avila had a big impact on you as a child. And it gave you a really deep respect for the beauty of simple food, well-prepared. Um, how did you move from that homey place where you were very grounded clearly to studying and working in wine what got you interested in wine well um i grew up in madrid i i used to spend the summers with my grandparents in in that little village in avila uh, which is actually very close it's in between avila and and the limits with salamanca but it's it's I it, i was a city i was a city woman a city a city girl but i um I spent a lot of time with in the farm and my, my grandparents were very simple. Um, they have animals. They, uh, grew everything that they ate, um, vegetables. Um, yeah, they just, they just fed themselves with the products that they were cultivating or farming. So that had a big impact on me because then during the rest of the year, I was spending it in, in Madrid, which is a city. Uh, my family don't have any roots or relation with the wine industry. They, they, they were not involved at all. So we, I didn't grow up understanding that world. Um, but I love food. I love food just because of maybe that connection since very little that I had with food with my grandparents. And I understood where they were coming from. I understood the, the hard work that is behind farming and 
we're taking care of animals and the good quality that comes from from la- that love that they they were putting into it and the passion so you know spending spending that time with that um it it makes me really love uh the science behind it too so all all my background in education um is based in biology and food and science technology that's from early days i knew that i wanted to focus on science that's that's what i was good at at too as well <laughs> um so i decided to study that in the university in madrid and um i when i was 18 years old i joined um a tasting group um that it was in madrid um i think it was in, in one in, in a wine store in madrid i was 18 years old so i was officially allowed to drink alcohol <laughs> um and it was it was very it was very shocking to me, you know, listen to people talking about wine. Like it was this esoteric, very interesting thing. Um, and I was starting uh, learning about the science behind it. So it just, it just made me want to know more and more. So at the, the last year in the, in the university or in college, I, I, I had to do an internship in a food and beverage company. And there was few wineries and there was um, a consultant winemaker that he was offering uh, an internship for a few weeks. It was only just a few weeks at that time. And and I was like, well, I, I like wine. So I raised my hand uh, for those two or three opportunities. And they they assigned me to work with this consultant winemaker. And since then, the rest is history. I just had such a great time. And he was so important for me. Um, because he he taught me in a in a very short period of time a lot and sparked even more interest in me for the wine. So yeah, that's that's a little bit uh, <laughs> sorry story about how how I got into it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think these family experiences are so important, and it's amazing how fundamental they can be in everything that we do when we're adults um, and even young adults. I I grew up in a place where there was no wine and sort of like you discovered wine when I was 19 in university. And it's, it's amazing how, you know, that, that childhood memory of being with your grandparents and growing things could connect you to this new thing that you hadn't had before, which is, it's, it's, it's amazing. I think people really forget that you know, childhood experiences are are very valuable to things we do. Yes, Cynthia. So w- we create memories, and I have vivid memories of helping my grandparents curing meat in the old house that they had in this farm. It was a really old house. Uh, they had the chimney or the fireplace in the middle of the kitchen, and the kitchen was like the center place of the house. Winters were very cold, so we had to, you know, as soon as we get up, we go to the kitchen and stay there. And it was all about cooking. I have memories, and I, I kind of still remember the aromas of that kitchen. And they were cooking these chimneys, uh, at least in Avila. They were very, they are very unique. They actually cook in the floor is where the base and where you put the wood. And when you cook, and there's just a hole uh, on the ceiling uh, where the where the smoke just goes out. And so there's a, a lot of concentration of, of aroma. So imagine, you know, a little kid, which I I was very close to my grandmother. I love my grandmother. I had a really strange connection with her, and um, you know, I was spending a lot of time cooking with her, 
just seeing what she was doing when, you know, we had chickens and we have to kill a chicken and, and cook it and all the process uh, for me was fascinating. So I think that that bring me closer to understanding aromas and and also understand how hard the world does it to actually be rewarded with amazing products. Because my grandfather, my grandfather used to like get up at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. to milk, milk the cows. Uh, and I used to go with him to, to the fields with the cows and, and, and that milk, the taste of that milk was unbelievable. So I have those memories, those memories, they got embedded in me, I guess. Um, the same, you know, my father, uh, loved wine and I was, I was the only child that I was interested in on drinking wine with him when he was uh, taking us to restaurants or during family meals, he used to open a really nice bottle of wine. Maybe he didn't know much about it, but uh, so he couldn't teach me, but I just have very good memories about smelling uh, a glass of wine and enjoying it with him. So those are memories that they just get so attached to us and, and they are important for, for me and family is very important for me. It's so true, it, it, particularly the sense of smell. Um, I My background is in psychology long ago before I got into wine and a lot of studies done with Alzheimer's patients are showing that, you know, towards the end of life, really remembering smells is the only sense that we still have left. And those, those scents are so important to us. Those things, as you said, embedded in your memory, uh, in a way that, that can't be taken away those special smells. But I'm so, I'm so interested in this with your dad, because I know that you've said he helped you get interested in wine as a child. You were the only child who liked tasting wine with him. He used to give you Albarino when you went to Galicia to the food, the seafood market. But your family didn't want you to go into wine. What gave you the courage to do it anyway? It's hard to go against your parents. Well, I, 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 it's, it's, I guess, more complicated than that. My parents came from, you know, a very humble family, and they wanted me to be successful, as they would like for any of their kids. And, you know, early on, I, I expressed my interest on, on the wine industry and that I wanted to work in wine. I wasn't sure back then what exactly. And then they just they just didn't want it because it's like life is complicated enough. Why you're gonna make it more complicated? It's it's a, it's a tough world for a woman, especially you. That I mean, I that I didn't come from. We didn't know anybody in the industry. We didn't have any sources. Like they were just concerned that I it was just hobby to me you know because I and of course parents are always worried too about their children I mean you you you've said you faced a lot of pushback in the industry and you went on your first job out of college working for a winery in La Mancha and you weren't allowed in the cellar you know they didn't like you you were a lab tech you were a woman people said you can't do this you can't be here you should be in the kitchen you know how did all of this experience affect your work and your goals? Because obviously you've become very, very successful. So you didn't listen to any of those people. You kept doing what you wanted. How did you handle that kind of old fashioned attitude? I mean, that's probably why, uh, I mean, what it brought me here to US at some point. But yes, I mean, early on, just as I finished my my studies and my master master in um, enology of viticulture, I tried to start looking for jobs and applying for jobs. And there were some wine companies that they were like, well, don't even bother on applying because we are looking for men. 
you know, like I, I received those kind of comments. And this wasn't 1850. This was pretty recently. <laughs> so no, um, yes, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. Maybe I just grew up in a very traditional country and I knew that that was going to happen. Like I, I, you always have that feeling that it's going to be harder for, for, for us, for, for women. Like, so I, I was okay with it. It's like, well, I just have to fight it, fight it back. And I'm a very, everybody that knows me knows that I'm very driven, um, that I'm very strong, that I, I, there's nothing that scares me, basically, um, which I don't know if it's good or bad. That's the best way to get ahead. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes, uh, you know, it can be taken as a little bit aggressive, but I'm not. I'm actually a very sweet person. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's like I knew what I wanted and I didn't understand why not. And I, I, I know by history and we all know that, um, we need to make a change. And, and, and I knew that things were going to change eventually. They have to change because, I mean, women, we are very important in, in any um, economy, uh, in any country. Like we, we are a strong workforce, uh, if at least 50% of the workforce or potentially. So it's, it's, I knew that I just needed to insist and keep trying and work hard. It's true that I think that I needed to show that I work harder than others. I think we all have faced that at some point where as women, particularly in the wine industry, we've had to work longer, work harder, work better and smarter just to keep our place. Uh, and hopefully it won't be like that for our daughters and our sons coming up. I, I learned very early on that I, I have to prove that I cool, uh, that it was not going to be assumed that I cool, um, which with some you know, with males that, that sometimes it's assumed that they, they can do it. And as, that I think is also wrong, you know, like I think it's, we are per, people, persons at the end of the day, we are all different and women are able to do it and maybe others won and the same with males. I, I, I don't know. I just like, I was very stubborn and very pussy and I, I, I had some, I, I had a lot of support. I have to see that I've been lucky. I think I, I found I'm professionals that they saw my 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 driveness my, that I I was very driven that I was very passionate and that I worked hard and and I think I received uh, here and that I received help um, that has um, you know allowed me to have more opportunities. So who mentored you? I mean, at, at that at the beginning of your career, who did you turn to for some advice and support? Who was taking care of you and encouraging you to be pushy? I love that being pushy is good. Yes. I mean, believe it or not, that that first uh, consultant winemaker that I worked with, that's why I think that I was very lucky to to have that opportunity very early on. Um, this was um, Pepe Gracia. Oh, yes. Oh, how nice. You, can, you know Pepe Gracia. Pepe, he's a chemist. He, he was very knowledgeable, but he's a very interesting character. I love him. He's a, he's a good person. He taught me in a very short period of time what he knew. He was very open and he saw that I really wanted to continue my career in wine. So he actually was the one recommending me to certain people in the, in the university to uh, enroll in the Master um, of Enology, which back then, you, you, it was very limited, the amount of people that were allowed to do it. So he introduced me and I worked with him after that, few harvests. Um, so he was he was a, just a really good connection, and having that those first opportunities um, that helped me build up my resume, I think uh, it helps me 
later on on getting other job opportunities. But I have to say when, I mean, talking sometimes about mentors or people that help me, I have a lot of people also that inspire me. And um, I, when I had opportunity, um, and this was also by a recommendation of someone that helped me to go into that opportunity, that was Jose Ramon Lizarrague, who is the viticulture professor uh, at, at the Polytechnic University in Madrid. He also really, really liked me, and um, and he knew that I, I will have some future in the wine industry. He, he introduced me to some of the the managers in González Díaz, and there, it, I mean, I it was very interesting to work for that company, and even if I did it for a short period of time, because I had a great opportunity of tasting and meeting uh, Jane's master, uh, which is a master of wine, and it was a woman, and and to me, that was that was what changed what my perception of the capacities or or my confidence it actually helped me to understand that i could there will be no limits for me because sometimes the others around us can put us those limits but when i saw her and i met her and i couldn't speak any english obviously i, I barely communicated with her unfortunately but i saw that it, she was very respected that she has so much knowledge and she was so professional um, and everybody respected her around. They were, they were just so impressed by her. And just seeing that behavior, I thought it's like, well, any woman can do it now. So why, why am I putting my limits to myself? Why am I thinking that I'm not going to be able to, to achieve uh, better positions or uh, even a winemaking position? So it was very inspiring. It's amazing what a, yeah, it's amazing what a role model, just someone, even if you don't connect personally with them on a, on a permanent level, what somebody's capability in your industry can do to show you that it's all possible, that it's all out there. So uh, I'm glad that you had those kinds of inspiring people in front of you and that you were smart enough to see them for, for who they were and to understand how they could, you know, improve and impact what you were doing. So you went on, you, you finished your master's in enology and viticulture and communication, and you went to work in New Zealand and Chile. And, you know, then what happened? Because obviously you're not in New Zealand or Chile anymore. <laughs> you moved to U.S. in 2007. So how did that all happen? Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local food, and taking in the scenery. Now back to the show. Well, the thing is that uh, everything everything is linked together. Um, which honestly, it, it, it is. Uh, when I met Jane Masters, I my English was so limited, like it was zero. So that's why I went to New Zealand. I I said, it's like, well, I, I need to get more experience in, in when making, I try to find the ways and I need to learn English. Um, I, I realized very very uh, early that I the UK market, selling to other markets was important to... Uh, to communicate with, you know, with with other countries. Um, so that's why I decided to go to New Zealand, uh, mostly. And then there I met another women winemaker, Patricia Miranda. Um, I worked with her there and also an amazing woman, great winemaker, but 
amazing human being first. And, you know, I, I, I had other experience with another uh, uh, woman, winemaker, a woman winemaker. And, and she put me in contact with the winemaker um, that I was going to work here uh, in, in Napa, in California. She worked briefly with him before. And so she, she saw that I didn't want to go back to Spain. And she put me in contact with him, which is Chris Carpenter, Christopher Carpenter. He's the winemaker that I spent almost a decade actually working here in Napa. Exactly. And that, that was at Jackson Family Wines for everyone who's listening who isn't sure about Chris Carpenter. That's Jackson Family for, for yeah, as you said, a decade. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, he, he obviously makes amazing wines. He, the experience that I had working with him, I, I feel very fortunate. He's very inspiring. Everybody knows his wines. He m- makes outstanding wines. And so I think, and also he's a very strong person, but he he gave me also a lot of opportunities too. He helped me a lot to to stay here in the country, um, to teach me basically everything that I know <laughs> uh, in winemaking. Mm-hmm. It's so great. I, I love the fact that there's been this journey, not only through various countries for you, but also through various people. And I think those people are just as much of the postcards of what you've done as, as the countries where you've been. And it, it wasn't that long after you came to California, you got there in 2007 and you were working with Chris and then you launched Gallery Wines in 2011. So that was only four years. What was, what was the plan? Um, how did that project come together? <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes like everything comes up, so just a conversation um, uh, and then it just slowly develops into something else. But uh, after four years working with Chris, I, you know, I expressed my interest um, of, uh, of making my own wine or to have my own project or, you know, just express myself in a different way and make wines that they were more closer to my personality. Um, and there was an opportunity with Jackson Family Wines. Um, they wanted to make a, another Sauvignon Blanc um, in Napa. And I and Chris obviously thought on me, it's like, Laura, you've been so annoying asking for this. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I, again, I'm very pussy. So if I, I, I kept insisting. And so that's, it started just because we needed to make a Sauvignon Blanc. And from there, it grew up into making multiple wines. Um, and it was a, it was a great uh, experience because it started drastically the brand from scratch, from, from nothing, um, making um, a, a specific a, a wine style, uh, sourcing the fruit, designing the labels. It, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was very fun. And what, what grapes were you using? What wines did you end up with by the end of gallery? Yeah, so basically it's, I worked with Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Sauvignon, but we were sourcing, or I was sourcing from uh, Napa Valley, most, most different appellations in Napa Valley, and also in Knights Valley, which Knights Valley is a little bit north Napa Valley for the ones that, it's maybe not a well-known, uh, appellation, but it's, it's part of Sonoma. And also I make a uh, Riesling, which uh, that was a really, that was a really fun 
wine to make coming from a spring mountain, which is one of the appellations, high elevation in, in Napa Valley. I think people forget that, you know, it gets cold if you're at altitude in Napa. It's not it's not the heat that everyone imagines all year round. It gets really cold in that part of Napa and now you get that good diurnal temperature change and you can make amazing Rieslings there. I mean, Napa Valley is a very small valley for the size, but um, there's a, a huge diversity of um, microclimates. Um, uh, high elevation, um, flat valley, and there's uh, some people forget also that there's there was varieties that maybe they are not planted anymore and they they lost interest decades ago. But Riesling was one of the grapes that it was planted in the valley at the beginning when you know pioneers started uh, planting vines in Napa and Spring Mountain probably because it's a cool appellation maintains some of those those grapes and they very successful wines uh, obviously small productions so they go very quickly <laughs> but uh, yeah, but they are extremely successful wines and and they are you have to know that they're there you don't just generally find them anywhere <laughs> exactly exactly so you became the winemaker and the general manager at Ellers just a couple of years ago. So you transitioned away from gallery, away from Jackson. What drew you to Ellers? Why is it so different from everything that you've done up to now? What's what's the dream for you there? Because I know the state is very different. Jackson Family Wines, as we all know, is very, very big. Um, Ellers is small. So I, I want to hear about this transition. So this, this probably came also, you know, another connection. Someone from Jackson Family Wine was close to um, the current owners from, from Ellers. And what it drew me here, it was because I was allowed or they wanted me to manage every single aspect of the business. It wasn't just uh, making making the wine or taking care of the vineyards. I, I was basically like, this is your, this, you can do whatever you think that is uh, right uh, at this place. So I just... So the perfect job for the pushy woman. <laughs> kind of, kind of. Um, I, I think it's, it's extremely helpful to have an opportunity where you run a business, uh, that you run the sales or work with sales team, at least for winemakers. I always, you know, to my winemaker friends, I always say it's like, it's so eye-opening when you actually, not you're not just making the wine, you actually have to sell it. You actually have to market it. You actually have to take care of employees and be sure that a business is healthy um, so it's maintained. And it, it's been a ride because obviously I started in 2018 and we have pandemic, fires, all kind of different challenges that I, unfortunately we are dealing with in the wine industry. But um, I think it's, it's been an amazing opportunity for me to understand, you know, how hard this industry is and, and businesses, especially for small businesses like, like us, it is challenging. It is challenging. But I, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly you are because you're doing really well. But you, you're so right. We have to face all of these things that uh, we didn't think about just 10 or 20 years ago. You know, the, the, the effect of climate change that's so dramatic. And we see it particularly in California. But um, and, and the forward things, we don't know what smoke taint is going to do. We won't know until those wines have evolved in their bottles. So there's so much more to think about than we ever really imagined. And so it is a really interesting time to be there. Um, I'm, I'm so happy that you're getting that opportunity to do something so new. So what, what are your dreams going forward at Ellers? Because now you, you are really in the driving seat. You're controlling it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been, 
um, it's been a ride we were talking about uh, uh, what we are dealing with climate change. And I think going to, you know, what is climate change doing to Napa or I think everywhere in the world, obviously it's not only Napa. Everywhere, mm-hmm. for sure. I was in Sicily recently and it's it's incredibly difficult. Yes, it's everywhere. So I, I've been taking decisions and I've been, you know, very supported by the owners, uh, which I'm very thankful. And I think Maybe just because I'm, I come from a place where traditions are important, I, I thought that, you know, this is an amazing place. It's a very historical winery. It's been in the Valley since 1886, um, one of those old uh, first wineries built in the Valley. And I thought, you know, that we are now at risk of, you know, or not, not producing the quality that we, we are expected to produce or just Sometimes it's the survival of the vines. It's like we need to keep these vineyards healthy for many years. I try to think on long term. So I decided it's like, well, let's do a replanting because these, these, the vineyards, we, are, I, we have uh, planted 40 acres that are surrounding the state. Those are the state vineyards. And they were planted originally trying to take all the all the heat and in and sand that they cool back in 1990 and i realized it's like right now the, that is not the, r- the right raw orientation we need to no absolutely not yeah completely change complete change and the way that we farm i mean this this site has been organically farmed since 2008 uh, which is very healthy i really embrace uh, organic farming and I didn't I haven't done it before until I joined Ellers but now um, I mean I totally uh, <laughs> agree that that's the that's the way to go for farmers so I decided it's like well let's let's focus on what what are the clones that are doing well in this state changing the raw orientation changing the the canopy management or just basically the, all the trellis we're changing elevating a little bit the vine so it's I'm doing a lot of these changes thinking well I'm not going to see results until like in next 5 or 7 years but I think is what we have to do I think we need to think on on what is coming in, in 10 years 20 years and just be sure that we're still producing very in and making very good wines. So I I've been <laughs> taking the responsibility of replanting the site and obviously and trying to make other other style of wines and putting my imprint in in the ones that I'm making. I don't know, I'm doing a lot of different things, uh changing the packaging, labels. I have a really amazing team right now working with me, mostly women and that was just by by accident, not intentional. But it's fabulous. It's it's fabulous that you have women around you. Um it, they're, you know, supportive in ways that that men sometimes aren't. And it, it sounds like you're in it for the, the long haul. You're, you know, I love when I hear a winemaker say, I'm replanting and I'm changing the trellising because that doesn't happen overnight. That, that's, you know, you said five years. I was thinking in my head eight. <laughs> so you're, you're there for a while. So I, I love hearing that faith in what you're doing and that commitment. You know, you're clearly vested in being there and being organic, uh, which is so important, particularly in California, when there's been so much um, discussion of Roundup and, and different chemicals. So it's wonderful to hear that you're working that way. And I know that you're, you're, you know, Ellers is giving some of their profits also to cardiovascular and neurovascular 
research. What's going on with that? Because that's paying back to the community too. Yes, I mean, we, I think we all have an obligation independently of how long we're going to stay in a place. I think we all have the responsibility to do what is right. And I think that's, that's I think, the mentality that in any kind of industry we, we should have right now. And I think it's critical to have it now. That's why. Um, I think I just I'm trying to to do as little as I can, but it's I think it's important. But yeah, so this is this is also what is a little bit unique about Ellers is our owners. Or back in in 1996, uh, Jan and Sylvain Leduc, uh, which was a French couple, they bought uh, this property, and it was around the same time they were French and they were from Paris. They have a linen company that had, uh, you know, businesses in Europe and in, in the U.S. And back then they decided that, you know, they, 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 don't, they didn't have children, they wanted to retire, and they sold their businesses and they decided with that, that money, um, create a foundation. And this is the Leduc Foundation, which basically what they do is it's, it's an organization that supports cardiovascular and neurovascular research by um, granting uh, fans uh, to different projects every year. It's absolutely amazing what they're doing. I, I'm obviously a very little part of what they're doing. They, they are a very good structure foundation um, with a very uh, rep- a huge reputation internationally in the scientific world. And they, they, they support um, uh, this kind of projects or research that is or invest in, in the development of technology uh, for the treatment or diagnosis of cardiovascular disease with very targeted programs that they, they support every year. So yeah, we are linked to them. We uh, A lot of people think that we are a um, non-profit winery. We are actually a business. We need to, to run it as a business, but in, in some kind of form, we can support also the foundation when it's needed. Um, and vice versa. That's amazing. As you said, a responsibility to do what's right. And I think, you know, as you said, you don't have that much to do with it, but, you know, the wines that you're making are, are helping this to happen. So it's a very, it's a very symbiotic relationship when you're in a company that has that kind of mentality and it's, and it's rare and it's, you know, it's special. And I think it's to be applauded. So I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, how does your family feel now? You know, how, how are your, how's your family about uh, your winemaking? You know, have your friends and colleagues come back to congratulated you, even though they doubted that you'd be successful as a young Madrid, you know, Madrileño woman? <laughs> yes, they they are very proud of me. I they should be. I they 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 are, but they they also like they always say like Laura, you're so brave, you're so strong, like you know what you want and you just go for it and you make it happen. And I think, I mean, they, they've always been proud of me, even, you know, sometimes they were just scared and worried about me, but um, they are very proud. And, you know, that my father, he is, he's very old and he's, uh, you know, his health is not very good. So he cannot come often to visit, but a few years ago he came and he saw where I live and, and he, I could tell that he was very happy and proud for me. So I, that's that's a huge reward for it's me. such a good feeling and and i hope you shared some of your wine with him like he used to share albarino with you when you were small i i do but he's a very hard critic he, you know. these old men <laughs> what are they like i tell you they're never they're never all the way satisfied they, they like what they like um, 
Well, be, before I let you go, what what advice would you give to young women now trying to come into winemaking, wherever they are in the world, not just Napa, or not just Spain? Things have changed a lot just in the you know a couple of decades you've been doing your work and I've been doing mine. What would you t- say to your 18-year-old self now? You know, maybe I, I would say just do what you did, <laughs> basically. I will tell her, it's like, you did, you did right, you did fine. Um, I, I think it's important to understand that um, things are still hard and they are not going to be coming to us easily, that we need to work hard or harder. But it's super important what we are doing because... It's, it's an example for other women. They will they will see that it's doable and it's possible. And we just need to keep working and proving that we can do exactly the same as anybody else. So that's what I will say. And that's what I say to some women that have approached me and asked me about it. And it, it's just keep doing what you're doing. If you love it, try it and work hard. Uh, I'm so glad I got to talk to you finally after all of our efforts. This was a really wonderful conversation. And it's it's great to hear from a female winemaker who is, you know, not an American who came from a different culture, you know, and is so successful in doing something that is really not stagnant. You're you're still working forward, replanting, changing trellising, adapting to climate change. And, and paying all that mentorship forward to the people that you talk to now. And I think that's very necessary in our wine world. Uh, and, and people don't realize how important it is to have someone to look up to and talk to and uh, be encouraged by. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And hopefully I will meet you uh, soon. I would love that. I would love that. All right. Well, have a wonderful day and take good care. Thank you for listening, and remember to tune in next Wednesday when I'll be chatting with another fascinating guest. Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with a daily show. Tune in every day and discover all our different shows. You can find us at italianwinepodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pods.